Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. This week's film is one that wasn't initially on my list. So I first, it was spring 2017 when I first was putting together a rough 100 movies to discuss for this project, and that's kind of been tweaked, obviously, as I've gone through, but this is one that, Logan, you and I were just kind of talking about a couple weeks before recording this, and it was kind of the perfect film that fit this nice little spot in the timeline that I'm kind of surprised I hadn't included when I made the initial list. So Right, and I, I was kind of surprised that I didn't think of it sooner either, um, because it is, it's a movie about, it, it's like a, a two for one, it's about a specific historical person. And also about a specific historical event. Correct. And the, and yes, and you can talk about them independently. So it's not like It Man is super influential within the Second Sino-Japanese War or even World War II, but he is a historical figure who is worth talking about, Who and then the movie is set during a specific historical event. Right. So yes, it. Uh, what does it say? So it says it opens in, we're in, again, I, I'm going to apologize up front once and for all for all our mispronunciations of everything within this film. But uh, so it it starts off in in Foshan. Foshan. I was gonna say Foshan. Okay, yeah. In nineteen thirty five. Nineteen thirty five. Right. We see uh, we see It Man, which that's also uh, <laughs> probably a mispronunciation, but that's how it's written. So that's how I'm gonna say it. Who was a uh, he was a master of uh, Wing Chun Kung Fu in uh, Foshan is in is in like southeastern China. It's also, I guess, uh, the the province that it's in is also called uh, Canton, right. which is where you get like Cantonese, which is which is why they speak Cantonese in Hong Kong, and then they speak uh, Mandarin in the rest of the country. Yeah, so we start in Foshan, and then uh, eventually after the after the Japanese invasion of uh, China in 1937, he uh, he's forced to move to Hong Kong. That's where he actually gets famous uh, and, and world-renowned uh, is for his martial arts, his Kung Fu Academy in Hong Kong, which he's taught both directly and then obviously uh, indirectly as, as Wing Chun has, has spread as a discipline. Millions of people since the 30s, most notably, he trained uh, Bruce Lee in kung fu from the time bruce lee was was like a little little kid which they kind of go into that more in the sequels but at the end of this movie and the it does it does say you know oh, he teaches all these people and and bruce lee was one of his students yes oh and so plot wise and we can kind of bounce around but this movie uh, more than any other i think on this entire project can be summed up in probably the fewest amount of words, because basically yes. the story is Ip Man is the best at Kung Fu in Foshan. When the Japanese invade Foshan, their general wants to fight him. The end. <laughs> right. Pretty much. And it's also not really meant to be a historical drama as much as it is a Kung Fu movie. But a really good one. Like that sounds like it's easy to dismiss and it is not. It's a really good movie. No, it's the fight scenes, like the Kung Fu sequences, the the fight choreography is, it's awesome. It's so good. And even the characterization holds up. Like it's not even just like it's a bunch of cool fights. I mean, the fights are awesome, but you you, you like the characters right. and their relationships are yeah. important and what triggers some fights and sometimes he doesn't want to fight. And then of course the Japanese invasion and no, it's it's a really, really good movie. Right. And the, the drama is 
is really powerful too. You know, you you really see the effect that the Japanese invasion has on your uh, everyman. So like, there's a there's a point where you know he has to go beg for work. You know, he used to he used to basically live in this mansion. You know, he was like a pretty high class guy in Foshan, and then after the Japanese invade, they take his mansion and they turn it into their headquarters, and then he's forced to kind of try and scrape by a living for him and his family. And that's you know another thing that the dynamic that you see between him and his wife and his wife not really you know liking kung fu at the beginning of the movie because she thinks and and rightly so that he uh doesn't spend enough time with his kid that he's too worried about kung fu and then you see how their family dynamic uh evolves yes and how fighting becomes kind of important for not just his pride but obviously his his pocketbook and i was always kind of confused at the beginning where he's just like what does he right. do he just lives in a mansion and yeah kind of he was from just kind of an upper class family and didn't seem to really have to do much work wise and was just kind of a you know i don't know he was just wealthy and didn't really have to worry about it, it looked like and was and was had kind of studied kung fu now and not not as young as you would think like as good as he is and was in real life going through his wikipedia page it's like oh, okay well he kind of studied for this person when he was like when he was like 12 for a couple years and then someone else a little few years later like the whole years of dedication to a craft to be this good i don't know you know i was thinking like oh, I like tiger woods golfing since he's three or you know you know athletes just start so young to be these you know skilled specialists he didn't start as young as i thought and didn't seem to have I mean, yes, he definitely had obsessive practice for years on end, but I guess, or you think about the whole 10,000 hour rule, it's like, did he even hit 10,000 hours before the time he was 30 with this stuff? Yeah, I don't know. He he started uh, he started learning Wing Chun Kung Fu when he was 12 years old. Right. So pretty young, but not, not nearly as young as like, for instance, Bruce Lee is okay. when Bruce Lee first started training under him. Um, he was, I, I don't know his exact age, but he was like a little kid. Okay. And I guess the idea too, I guess just because he wasn't having formal training doesn't mean he wasn't like practicing like we see him by himself, you know, all the time. So he was aware of it and obviously then kind of developed it more himself. But yeah. So, so the movie, like you already mentioned, isn't super historical because if, if I was reading it right, he didn't even seem to have stayed in Foshen during the Japanese occupation. He had already moved to Hong Kong and the movie kind of keeps him in Foshen just to be part of the drama and occupation there. Is that what you saw as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I think in real life he he moved to Hong Kong a little sooner. Um, right. Obviously, a lot of the the stuff where the Japanese general wants to you know have the kung fu masters fight his Japanese soldiers that's that's all fictionalized, right? Or or at least heavily dramatized for the movie, like the the scene where uh, Ip Man fights ten Japanese soldiers <laughs> at once. Yeah, which is yeah. man one of the, one of the coolest fight scenes of all time though like it is really good and so and my thought when you see stuff like that in the past your thought is always like why don't they all just rush him at once and this is kind of the first time i kind of thought oh i kind of get it because we all just rush in at once we're just going to hit each other so we can right. kind of maybe try to get him a couple at a time, maybe even three guys at a time. But everyone else just needs to be ready to pounce as soon as there's a window from him beating the other guy. It actually wouldn't make sense for 10 guys to pounce on him at once because he would just hit each other and make a pile. Right. And you see hit like there are times where he's not just fighting one at a time. Like there's oh, correct. Times where he's fighting like he's literally fighting four guys at once. You know, he's yes. like punching two dudes, one with each hand and kicking two dudes. Yes. And I guess we really didn't get it would be a good opportunity to get in the history of martial arts itself. But I hadn't really researched any, any of that. But obviously it just means any kind of warfare. And what we, we kind of tend to see martial arts as weaponless, but martial just kind of means war. So, I mean, even archery would be a martial art. 
Right, archery, uh, fencing is a martial art. Right, kinda. right. Any, anything to deal with uh, battle skills, I guess. But yeah, this uh, speaking of the martial arts, this movie has some. I particularly liked the wire foo and how restrained it was. So it's not like you know the crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Where oh, is like, that what that's you know, called? Okay, I had I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Where you kind of defy yeah. gravity? Yeah. I, I don't know if that's the the actual technical name for it, but I, that's kind of what it's known as. But yeah, so you know it's. In this movie, they use it to, like, it's just a little bit outside the realm of possibility, like how far people fly when you kick them or... Right, or how high I'm jumping, yeah, yeah. Flip over back, right, yeah. You're right, it's, it's, it's pretty subtle. It's it's almost realistic, whereas, yeah, Crouching Tiger gets to where it's like, I'm going to just jump to this roof real quick and then float across the treetops. Like, it kind of takes it a little little farther. But yeah, here it's, here it's subtle to the point that it almost doesn't even exist. Right. Oh, so I was going to talk about, and not that I just kind of what I briefly read, on... How did you say it? Wing Chun, Wing Chun in general, Wing Chun in general. Uh, wing, wing, Wing Chun. Yeah. So, as far as a martial art goes, so there's there's obviously different types. We think of these Chinese Japanese martial arts, and they're, they're definitely in different categories. You know, so, you know, basically some are based on you know fist or hand striking. Some are based on defense. Some are based on kicking. You know, something like judo is based on throwing. And they're all kind of just, you know, different shades. And they all kind of, you know, overlap in, in a lot of ways, too. But uh, what I was reading on Wing Chun is it's even called, uh, the word is like soft. But then like Ip Man himself said, don't let that fool you. <laughs> it still can be aggressive and it is still very forceful. But it, the idea of soft in that the movements are very fluid. And at least the way we see it in the film, it does seem like it is very defense oriented but then i'm immediately going once you kind of expose yourself to have some kind of opening for me i'm going to then take advantage and destroy you once you once i've kind of basically i've defended off your attacks and now i'm on the offensive once you've made a mistake and i'm just ending you right softness as in you remain kind of relaxed relaxed and loose which you can see when he's doing you know practicing with the the wooden post Yes. And it's he's it's just kind of showing him, you know, how he flows from one position to the next. Yes. It, it makes it look effortless. And man, and I just just occurred to me I cuz I was going to say like, oh, we, we'll compare it to like how it looks in Bruce Lee movies. I don't think I've ever seen a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> Is that the worst thing ever to admit on this episode? <laughs> <laughs> like not like not even a single one. No, not even the uh, Enter, what's the, dra- one with enter the, the Dragon or whatever. Like, yeah, Enter the. You've never even seen Enter the Dragon. No, <laughs> I, I mean I've seen some clips of Bruce Lee, obviously, but like, right? I uh, I don't think I've actually seen any of his movies, and I so yeah, to the point that I didn't even know until watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood what he kind of sounded like. I mean, obviously it's not really him, but they portray him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I'm like, oh, that's what Bruce Lee sounded like. And then I actually, then after the fact, saw an interview with him just to kind of confirm. It's like, oh yeah, he that's what he sounds like. It just in the sense that he's a very, very American sounding guy. And I don't, I don't know enough about where he is from, but I figured if he trained with Ip Man, he was like from Hong Kong, right? Uh, he was born in uh, California, oh. and then he he moved there. So he's, oh, he's actually okay. he's born in San Francisco. Okay, okay, that's why he's but sounds very uh, American. And his name Bruce, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting trivia about uh, in- Enter the Dragon. Not that this is really applicable to this movie. I don't want to get too far off the rails, but Jackie Chan is actually in that movie. Uh, is one of his first roles. He's an extra. Yeah. So actually, yeah. So it had a it had a list of all the people who used this Wing, Wing Chen fighting style. So Ip Man, Bruce Lee, Bruce's son Brandon, but then also 
well, one, Donnie Yen, who plays Ip Man in this movie, yes. and Jackie Chan. So it's all considered right. to be, they're all under that Wing Chun branch of Kung Fu. Right. Which, let me just take this opportunity, since we brought up Donnie Yen, to just espouse my love for Donnie Yen. He's awesome. Guy, he's a great actor. Yeah. Oh, he's so good. He's so good. He's, I like, all of his fight choreography is awesome. He's done a bunch. So I I think the first time I saw him was in uh, Hero. Oh, is he the is he the third of the main three or whatever? I don't remember which. He's the the he's got long hair. Um, he they got the spears. Yeah, but I'm it's like there's like the, there's like the trio because it's it's Jet Li, the girl, and the other guy, right? Or am I getting confused? I've I've seen Hero like three or four times, but I guess I'm getting confused. Is he just the other guy? I haven't seen Hero in a minute. I just remember that they have the. It's the I, I think he might even be the one. Is he the guy that he fights like they fight in their minds? They're just sitting there imagining how well, that happens go? too. Anyway, oh um, yeah, okay, no, so he is a smaller role. So no, the the third guy with Jet Li and the girl is uh my actual favorite non English speaking actor Tony Long. Oh okay, but Donnie Yen is also in it, and uh, right. I, I actually kind of forget how he works into it. Then I guess, but. Right, I, I don't remember how he fits into the story, but I remember that the scene with him and Jet Li fighting with this, uh, with a spear. And uh, but yeah, and he he's been in he's actually he's gotten a lot more kind of like blockbustery Hollywood roles um, recently. You know, he was in the he was in Rogue One. He was, I believe, he was in the uh, the Green Hornet remake with Seth Rogen that they made a few years ago. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, and then oh, what's the name of the movie? Legend of the Fist. Which I've not seen, but I've heard of. Yes, it's really good, starring Donnie Yen. Anyways, but he also does, um, he doesn't just act, he also does a lot of fight choreography, even for movies that he's not in. Oh, um, okay. So he did, like, okay. he did fight choreography for, like, I think one of the Blade movies or something. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah, uh, Ip Man does have a series of sequels. I've only seen the first one, but all of them are fairly highly rated, if at least the first few. And number two is actually has a higher rating than the first one on Rotten Tomatoes, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And let's get into the, I think we're probably good on Ip Man. Let's get into the chinese japanese history side of this conflict oh right in the movie they actually there's a text comes on the screen and uh it it doesn't explain it but it mentions you know it says oh you know 1937 the marco polo bridge incident happens and then now china is at war with japan which i guess the marco polo bridge incident is a uh battle that was fought at the Marco Polo Bridge between the National Revolutionary Army of China and the Imperial Japanese Army. And it's actually a lot of people point to that as uh, the beginning of World War Two, which I thought was and that that was what I was going to mention as well. And I thought that's kind of interesting, almost to the point that is it just our Western centrism that is the only reason that is not considered the beginning of World War Two. So I, I think that's that probably plays into it because a lot of people say, oh, no, it was, you know, September 1939, you know, Adolf Hitler messing around in Europe. But I think a, another reason is because this this conflict was more directly between China and Japan. It, it wasn't uh, true. I don't know. It, it wasn't like a bid by Japan to try and take over the world as much as it was you know, a Chinese and Japan centric conflict that kind of got folded into the pacific theater so that's probably fair it, it is the beginning yes yeah, so this incident in july of 1937 the marco polo bridge incident that kind of escalated into a fight and war between china and japan 
is the beginning of the fighting that continued into and was part of World War II, which is why right. you could say it's the start of World War II. But to your point, it is not the beginning of the aggression that triggered the larger World War II in France. So, so it wasn't a trigger to the larger conflict, but it was the beginning of the fighting within the larger conflict as it evolved over the next eight years. Is that probably the way to say it? Yes. And and then obviously didn't end because I you know I was watching a video on this to kind of just uh, get it all into my mind as well. And so July 1937, beginning of the conflict, and the end of the conflict was basically triggered by the Americans dropping the bomb, and they, they, the Japanese were still fighting China, and it was a very kind of back and forth. It wasn't trench warfare, but it was a very kind of just unproductive battle on both sides. The Japanese were winning early, but then the kind of Jap- or the Chinese are able to kind of hold them into a standstill and of course then are getting Russian and American help throughout that kind of helps keep the Japanese at bay, but the Japanese were still kind of being ag- you know aggressors here until the US got to su- to submit and they kind of stopped the Ch- Chinese conflict at the same time they stopped the conflict with the US and the uh, Pacific theater ended in general. Right. And when talking about this conflict, a lot of the uh, focus, well, in, in talking about World War II, um, a lot of the focus is on the atrocities of the Nazis, and rightly so. Um, obviously, you know, they perpetrated the Holocaust, which was just horrible. But there are also a, a lot of time it's it's kind of overlooked, um, or at least a lot less widely known, the Japanese atrocities against Chinese civilians, yeah, um, especially during like the the early part of the war, and also the Pacific theater as a whole. I mean, you know, we you know hear a lot about like the island hopping campaigns and the amphibious landings, like in uh, you know Iwo Jima and Guadalcanal and Okinawa, uh, but that's really only half of the the Pacific theater. That was kind of the that's the eastern part of the Pacific theater of World War II. Then you also had the CBI or the China Burma India campaign, which is fought kind of on the against the western side of the Japanese Empire in places like China and Burma and India. So for example, yes, the movie gives the date October nineteen thirty eight for when the Japanese army finally moved into Foshan and talked about them destroying factories, and it says the population of Foshan went from 300,000 to 70,000, and I kind of initially thought naively that that was largely because of people fleeing, but I think a depressing amount of that is due to just slaughtering civilians, and yes, they were basically not concerned. the, The video I just watched today was talking about how the Japanese were getting frustrated, so... Well, we'll, we'll, I'll backtrack here in a second. But the Japanese were getting frustrated with their struggles against China and basically started slaughtering civilians out of anger and frustration at not being able to make better headway into China. Now, what's also worth mentioning is before the 1937 Marco Polo Bridge incident that started this war with China in earnest, Japan in the early 1930s, 1930, 1931, had invaded and taken over Manchuria and basically had been occupying it for the previous you know six or seven years. And that wasn't considered part of this war, basically because once they had conquered Manchuria, no one was fighting anymore. It was just like, yep, Japan now owns Manchuria. And so it wasn't considered part of this conflict. Although, again, you look on on the Wikipedia page, it did mention another alternative start date for World War II would be that invasion of Manchuria, if you wanted to tie everything together even further. So just going to the Japanese side in general, so a lot of their aggression stemmed from 
a hyper-nationalism and that over the course of the 19th century and into the early 20th century, Japan, having a long centuries history of this warrior culture with, you know, the samurais and just a very proud people, became just super, super proud of who they were and were very elitist about, like, we're basically the best people on the world and we're going to start to prove it and we're ready to start conquering stuff. And so they started spreading out from their island where they'd basically be kind of been isolationist and just in their arrogance and strength. And of course, what the video I watched today did not mention, but we kind of touched on with Battleship Potemkin after beating Russia, they were just a little more confident now too. And we're now a world player and they're starting to flex their muscle in the early 20th century leading into World War II here. Yeah, so yeah, we're we're seeing the beginnings of all that in our in our timeline here as we're in the late 1930s and we're raised basically right on the cusp or again, as we've already said, into the beginnings of what will become World War II here. I mentioned the the China Burma India campaign and uh, just one of the interesting little facets of that theater of of World War II is a uh, unit a, a fighter pilot unit called the First American Volunteer Group and it's it's interesting because they're all they were all pilots that were you know Americans from the the Army Air Corps and the Navy and the Marines but they officially fell under the Chinese Air Force and uh, they flew fighter planes P40s but instead of having the you know the, how the like an American plane has the the star in the circle with the little bars on the side yeah they have these P40s uh, they were like you know so an American warplane but instead of the uh, American star in the circle it's the sun in the blue circle the white sun in the blue circle like you see in the flag for the Republic of China or for right. Taiwan huh Okay, so yeah, we've we've kind of we're at that point in world history where we are ready to now tackle World War II. And looking at our schedule here, we're going to spend the ne- basically the entire month of February here, and actually even a couple episodes into March talking about World War II. Uh, Logan and I have kind of joked that we could probably spend a whole hundred movies on just World War II, and we're we're going to give you about five or six here. And spend a few weeks getting into World War II. And it's going to start next week with the classic movie Casablanca starring Humphrey Bogart. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs>